Good morning, Forest Park. Great to see you guys today. This is part four of our continuing series, Dream Again. If you are just joining us for the first time or you haven't been here uh, during this series, I highly encourage you to go by our YouTube channel, check out parts one, two, and three. Today, obviously, is part four. Next week, we'll wrap this series up. And then, can you believe two weeks from today is Easter? Man, this year is flying by already in our fourth month, and Easter's right around the corner. But we're glad you are here today. Whether you're in the room or you're joining us online, it's always an honor to have you here. You know, these last two years were difficult. Beyond the horrors of people dying, we experienced loss of community, loss of momentum, loss of jobs, even loss of friends. It's going to take years for us to assess the negative impact this pandemic had on our relationships, education, economy, spirituality, on and on. And one casualty we have been addressing throughout this series is our inability to dream. We seem to have lost our ability to collectively dream as we did before. We're not as hopeful when we awaken in the mornings. We're not as excited about the future. We've settled. We're sluggish. And you've heard me if you've been here in this series, because I've been just drilling it week after week after week, we, we can't stay here. We, we've got at some point, you've got to get up and say, you know what, these last few years have been tough. You know what, uh, there's been a lot of things happen, not only locally, but around our world that's made things challenging. But we're not going to stay here. We're going to get up. We're going to move forward. We're going to dream again. And that's what this entire series has been about, is helping us learn how to dream again and figuring out how to move forward together. That's what it's been about. So if you've been with us, you know this. If you haven't, this will catch you up just a little bit. Week one, we said, hey, how do you dream beyond violent storms when they come? We took a look at Peter walking on the water and the storm that came into his life and what that looked like. Week two, we talked about how to dream beyond your darkest secrets. Then last week, we talked about how to dream beyond discouragement. Now today, we're going to jump into this uh, message and we're going to talk about how do you dream beyond personal failure. You know, throughout my journey with Jesus and doing my best to lead a small portion of his church, a challenging lesson for me to learn has been this, and I'm going to do my best today to reiterate this one again and again and again, because this is one of those lessons that I wish I would have understood when I was 20. I wish I would have understood that even when I came here to lead Forest Park 20-some years ago. And here's the lesson. What happens in me is more important than what happens through me. And eventually, if what needs to happen in me happens, then what happens through me will outlive me. Now, here's why this has been challenging for me. As far back as I can remember, I wanted great things to happen through me. I wanted to be somebody's hero. I wanted to, my life to be be an accomplishment. I wanted to be an example other people aspired to follow. And those are outstanding goals. I mean, you know, if more young people uh, throughout our nation had these as goals rather than make more money, be TikTok famous, you know, have a perfect body, uh, we'd be better off as a nation, as a people. And in many ways, I've tried. In many ways, maybe undetectable to most people, I think I've succeeded in some of those goals. But I didn't know then what I know now. And this is what I wish I would have understood. Focusing too much on the good happening through me extinguishes the great happening in me. You see, everything in our lives worth fighting for, worth living for, worth giving our best for, 
everything worth anything depends on the quality of our inside, not the accomplishments on the outside. Our inside is infinitely more important than our outside. Yet most everything in our culture judges everyone in our culture according to their outsides. How thin you're behind, how attractive your face, the points on the scoreboard, the size of your wallet. And here's the tension. We assume we are better on the inside than we are. And when faced with a situation greater than who we are on the inside, we fail. And when we fail, it's difficult. And we lose confidence, hope, faith, and even our grip on reality. But here's the good news. And this is the good news that I want to share with you. If you find yourself in a place where you have failed and you find yourself sitting in a hole that you've dug, if you find yourself sitting in a place that a mess that you've made, here's the good news. If you're willing, if you are open, if you are available, Jesus will find you in your mess when you are at your weakest, when you are most vulnerable, and he will continue the work you think has stopped. Because what happens in me is more important than what happens through me. And eventually, if what needs to happen in me happens, then what happens through me will outlive me. Now, we're discussing Peter again today. Love the life of Peter. So much truth, so many lessons in his life to learn. Now, if you know anything about Peter, then you know Peter didn't lack confidence, or at least he presented an air of confidence, maybe to the level of arrogance. And that might be a little strong, but maybe not. I mean, it was Peter who stepped out first onto the water to walk. Remember, he, if you were with us a few weeks ago, the storm's raging around him. They see Jesus on the water. He calls out, hey, Jesus, can I come to you? I mean, that took some courage. That took some, took some assertiveness to even assume, to even think that maybe he could walk on the water. It was Peter who protested Jesus washing his feet. Jesus, don't wash my feet. It was Peter who cut off the soldier's ear in the garden the night Jesus was being arrested. It was Peter who always seemed to lift his hand first and volunteer. Maybe he was a one on the Enneagram. Maybe he was an eight. I don't know. But Peter was an assertive, go for it kind of person. And he had a lot of reasons to be confident. And here's another huge reason for Peter to be confident. Watch this story in Matthew 16. You've heard me tell this part uh, before, but I want to bring out one part of this story that maybe I haven't emphasized in the past. Now, when Jesus came to the area of Caesarea Philippi, it's a particular area, a city area, he asked his disciples, who, who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, and still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said, and what about you? Who, who do you say that I am? Simon Peter, here he is, that assertiveness, Simon Peter said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Then Jesus replied, watch this, happy are you, Simon, son of Jonah, because no human has showed this to you. Rather, my father who is in heaven has shown you, and I tell you, you are Peter, and I'll build my church on this rock. I wonder if Peter walked with a little swagger afterward. I mean, this was a confident moment. This, this was a compliment from Jesus. I wonder if Peter kind of had the attitude, hey, hey guys, listen, no human told me this. Did you hear what Jesus said? God's spirit told me this. And Jesus said he's going to build his church on what I said and not even hell itself is going to be able to stop it. 
Guys, I've been thinking, maybe from now on you should run by me what you're planning to say. Because if it's obvious that I understand what Jesus is attempting to do this, through this revolution, maybe a little bit better than you. I mean, I don't mean to brag, but some of us have a little bit more discernment than other people. Maybe. Without a doubt, Peter became confident, and eventually he considered himself stronger than he was. How do you know that, Scott? Well, in Matthew 26, Jesus sits down with his disciples, and he warns them of coming trouble. Here's what he says. Then Jesus said to his disciples, tonight you will all fall away because of me. This is because it is written, I will hit the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will go off in all directions. But after I'm raised up, talking about his resurrection, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter replied, there he is again. He's the one sticking his hand up first. He's the one inserting sometimes his foot in his mouth. He's the one volunteering before anybody else. He's the one who says, hey, can I come to you on the water? Hey, I know who you are. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. Peter replied, if everyone else stumbles because of you, I'll never stumble. Jesus said to him, I assure you that before the rooster crows tonight, you will deny me three times. Peter said, I mean, Jesus is talking, Peter, why don't you be quiet? Not Peter. Peter said, even if I must die alongside you, I won't deny you. And all the disciples said the same thing. Yeah, that's right. That's right. That's right. Peter was competent. Peter was committed. I won't leave you, Jesus. You can count on me. I'm telling you, I'm different than all the other guys. They might walk away from you. They might deny you. They might leave you, but not me. You can count on me. And Jesus says, Peter, you have no idea what you're talking about. You think you're stronger than you are. Actually, before the sun fully rises tomorrow morning, Peter, you're going to deny that you even know who I am. Why don't you listen to me very carefully, okay? You know, I can't help but reflect on the many times I've stood in churches all across this nation, attending church, preaching, sitting out there in special services, going to a revival service or a special gathering of people, being around even in other countries, preaching and being in large services. I can't tell you how many times I have stood in church and I've promised God a lot of things. I've said with my hands lifted and tears streaming down my face, I have walked to the front in an altar service. I've sat in a seat where, like you're sitting, I've bowed my head, I've bent my knees, I've done it all. And I've said to God, God, I, you can count on me. God, you know my heart, I'll, I'll, I'll give you everything I have. And Jesus, that thing that I've been struggling with, I'm, I'm done with it. I'm never going to do it again. God, you see my heart. Change me. Make me new. I will always follow you, God. I don't know what my other friends are going to do. I don't know what other pastors are going to do. I don't know what other people are going to do. But I'm going to follow you with everything I have inside me. And in those moments, I meant every bit of it. Every promise I made, it came from the depth of my soul. And I meant it. And I've learned that Jesus could have easily spoken to me during any one of those moments and said something, something similar to what he said to Peter. Scott, you have no idea what you're saying. I know you mean well, 
And I know everything inside of you right now wants to live for me and you want to give me everything and you want to commit all to me. I, I know, but I know you better than you know yourself. And before next week, you're going to go back on everything you ever promised. And you're going to act like you have no idea what it even means to get everything to me. I know you mean well, and I know you think you understand, but you don't. You don't even know what you don't know. Can I, can I give you a dose of humility, okay? You don't realize your own weaknesses. Now, I don't, I don't mean that in any kind of way of tearing down your self-esteem, because in other areas, you don't realize your own strengths, but every now and again, we need to realize our weaknesses or at least acknowledge that we don't know our weaknesses very well. Let, let me explain. Some of you hear about someone doing something egregious. You fill in the blank with whatever dirty, rotten thing that you want to. And you may not say this out loud, but you might mumble this under your breath or you might think this when you read about somebody doing something in the paper or online or you hear it on the news or you hear about it in church as it rumbles through the congregation. And you, you think something like this. Well, I tell you what, I would never blank. Whatever it is that you fill in the blank, the thing that you think you would never do, I would never blank. Well, maybe, here's the dose of humility. Maybe it's because you've never been presented with the true opportunity to do blank. Well, I, I would never steal from my employer. Well, maybe you've never been hungry. Or, or maybe you've never faced bankruptcy. Or maybe you've never faced foreclosure. Well, I would never cheat on my husband. Well, maybe you've never met him yet. Maybe, maybe there's a guy out there that's perfect for you and available, and you haven't met him. Well, I would, I would always be faithful to my wife. Well, I hope so, but maybe it's a little easier for you because you haven't been presented with a lot of opportunities. Maybe if you were presented with a lot of opportunities, you might not be so holy. You see, here's what I've learned. You and I have no idea what we would do if presented. Here's what I mean. Jesus is arrested, and everybody runs. The very people who said, it says, and they all said the same thing Peter said. I'll never leave you. I'll never deny you. I'll stick with you. I'll be, you can count on me. And they were all like, yeah, that's how we feel too. And they all run. They all do the very thing they didn't think they would ever do. After three and one half years of walking with Jesus, after miracles, after raising the dead, after late night teachings, after one-on-one -on -one discipling, they all run. And Peter is confronted with aligning himself with a soon-to-be crucified man or lying his way out of this situation. And what does he do? Peter the guy who got out of the boat and walked on water. Peter, the guy who had a front row seat to the multiplication of bread and fish. Peter, who watched Lazarus come out of a tomb. Peter, the same guy who sat down with the man who was dead, Lazarus, and had a meal with the man who had been dead just a few hours earlier. Peter, who watched Jesus open blinded eyes, who watched Jesus cure lepers. Peter, who watched Jesus do incredible things. 
Peter, who walked up on the Mount of Transfiguration and watched Jesus become as white as lightning and had Moses there and Elijah, all of those things, the same guy that witnessed all of that and promised Jesus he would do anything for him and he would never leave him, he would never walk away. What does that guy do faced with this situation? He lies. Well, I think that's horrible, Scott. Well, it is. And I would never deny Jesus and leave him alone like they did. Well, maybe you've never seen someone beaten and crucified. Maybe you've never been in that situation before. See, you don't know yourself as well as you think you do. You remember, Peter doesn't know the end of the story like we know the end of the story. He's living it. He doesn't know how all this is going to turn out. He's not sure that everything Jesus said is actually going to come to pass the way Jesus said it is. So Peter does what he thinks he needs to do in the moment to survive. He denies. He swears. He calls down curses upon himself. He repeatedly says again and again and again, I don't know that man, Jesus. And someone asks him again, hey, wait, 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 aren't you the guy that I've seen with? No, no, I don't know him. I don't know him. Wait a minute, I've seen you with him. I've been out there when, you were pre- when Jesus was preaching and you were sitting right there in the crowd. And I, I think I remember you collecting some of that bread and fish that one day and putting it all to you. You are one of those people, one of his disciples. And Peter calls down curses upon himself and says, if I know this man, then let God strike me dead. That's basically what it means. I don't know him. And the rooster crows. The warm sun oozes over the horizon, and in the morning light, Peter has failed. Peter immediately realizes what he's done. He weeps, he's broken, he's sad, he's disappointed, but he's guilty. He's convicted, he's caught with no excuses. He did the very thing he swore he would never do. He denied, he lied, he turned his back on Jesus, and the rooster crows exactly the way Jesus said it would. Listen to me very carefully, okay? For some of you sitting in this room, for some of you watching online, the rooster is crowing in your life. You've messed up, and you know it. You're broken, and you know it. You are in a mess, and you've created the mess. So here's the question. Can you dream beyond your failure? Can you see beyond the broken promises? Can you see beyond life or beyond the death and see life on the other side of what feels like death? Can you see light on the other end of darkness? Can you see beyond and dream beyond your failure? Some people can and they do. Some people can't and they don't. And if you can and you do, then maybe you don't need this message. I don't know. But if you can't dream beyond it, if you are stuck and you just can't see beyond it, and you're not sure that you can get up and put yourself back together again and and walk into the light of a bright future, If that's you, here's what I want you to hear me say, because I said everything else to get to this point. When you are at the bottom and you can't see beyond your failure and you can't dream again, Jesus will dream for you. He will see things in your future you can't see. 
He will see things tomorrow that you cannot imagine. He sees beyond your failure, far beyond your brokenness, and what he sees is so much more and clearer and more vivid than you can possibly imagine. And you're going to see that in just a moment in Peter's life. See, Peter isn't there yet. He's where a lot of us are. He's hurting. He's disillusioned. So what does Peter do? He does the only thing he knows. He denies Jesus. The rooster crows. His heart's broken. He is just shattered. He's embarrassed. He's humiliated. He's done everything that he said he wouldn't do. What does Peter do now? He goes back to fishing. The only thing he knows to do. And I think when he's out there on the boat and he's thrown a net into the lake, he's thinking to himself, what in the world made me think that I was going to change the whole world? And he's pulling the net up and he's dragging in a few fish. I don't know why I thought I was so much better than everybody else. And he throws the net out. He brings it in. He repairs the nets. You know what? I'm just an average fisherman. I'm just an average guy. What in the world made me? Now Peter's humble. Before, I'll never leave you. I'm the strongest disciple you have. You can count on me, Jesus. After he messes up, after he breaks everything, after he denies, now he's humble. Now he's out fishing. Now he's just a broken man. Jesus is crucified. He's buried. He's resurrected. Peter's on the water fishing. Forget changing the world. I'll just catch some fish. Forget staying committed. Forget proving myself better than anybody else. I'll just fish. At least I can do that. And there's a story about this that I think is so beautiful. And it's one of the most, I think, one of the most incredible interactions in all of the New Testament. Picture this in your mind, okay? Peter's on the water fishing. He fishes all night and he catches nothing. He's tired. He's exhausted. Now, not only has he denied Jesus, not only has his dreams been shattered, Not only is his heart broken, not only is his self-esteem in the mud, not only does it feel like the biggest failure that's ever lived, finally God sends the Messiah after all these years and he's chosen to follow him and then the very Messiah that everybody's been praying for and hopeful for and he denies him. I mean, he's the biggest blunder in the history of all of God's story. He can't even catch any fish. He fishes all night and catches nothing. So he makes his way back into the shore early in the morning. And when he gets to the shore, there's a guy on the shore who greets him. You know who that guy is? Jesus. And what is Jesus doing? This is so beautiful. Jesus is preparing breakfast. That's what it says. He's preparing breakfast. One thing I noticed about this that I've never really seen before, and it just was so beautiful to me, and I hope you get it and feel it the way that I did. He's preparing breakfast. That that little detail, don't miss that detail. An intimate, gentle, family-like act. Nourishment, care, love, warmth. When you are at your bottom, you don't need a wagging finger. 
When you are busted and broken and every single thing that you ever promised you would do, you didn't do, you don't need anybody to tell you you didn't do it. You need somebody to feed you. You need somebody to love you where you are. Sometimes a little meal is better than 10,000 sermons. Sometimes a little fish and bread on the shore after you fished all night and didn't catch anything is so much better. A chef is sometimes better than a prophet. A meal is sometimes better than a sermon. And Jesus prepares breakfast. And I think Peter got out of that boat and he walks up and he sees that it's Jesus. And how do you think he felt? I think he felt embarrassed. I think he felt humiliated. I think he felt, I don't even know what to say. I don't know what to to do. Jesus is preparing food for me. Jesus meets Peter where he is. Notice that. Jesus doesn't wait for Peter to come back to the temple. Jesus doesn't wait for Peter to chase Jesus down and apologize. Jesus goes to Peter. Peter's fishing. Peter's given up a lot of his dreams. And Jesus goes, finds him and meets him in his pain. John 21. When they finished eating, after eating that breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Now I've read commentators, I've read scholars, I've read all kinds of people who expound on these verses. And some people say that when Jesus said, do you love me more than these, that he meant, do you love me more than, than these disciples? Do you love me more than these other people who follow me? Other scholars say, no, that's not at all what Jesus was saying. What Jesus was saying is, do you love me more than these, these fish, the things that you've gone back to? Do you love me more than, than all of this? And Peter says, uh, yes, Lord, you know I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my lambs. And I think Peter in that moment was like, I, I don't know that I even feel very qualified to feed your lambs. But okay. Then Jesus says a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Simon replied, I think he kind of thought, I I just answered that question. Yes, Lord, you, you know I love you. Take care of my sheep. Then he asked him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? How many times did Peter deny Jesus? Three times. How many times does he restore him? Three times. He covers every single sin. And Peter was sad that Jesus asked him a third time, do you love me? And he replies, and I think this is so beautiful, Lord. <laughs> all right, look, you, you know everything, all right? You know I denied you. You know I'm broken. You know my dreams are shattered. You know I've gone back to fishing. 
<laughs> you know I didn't catch anything all night. You know everything about me. No pretense anymore. No image to keep up. I'm not, I'm, I'm not promising you the world. I'm not saying I can do anything better than what I've already done in the past. I, I, I'm not better than anybody else. I, I, you know everything. And you know this. I might be a loud mouth. I might put my foot in my mouth too much. I might lift my hand when I ought to be quiet. I, I might do a lot of things stupid. But you know this. You know I love you. Feed my sheep. Watch this. I assure you, he's still talking to Peter. When you were younger, you tied your own belt and walked around wherever you wanted. What does that sound like? A guy who does what he wants. You get yourself dressed, you go where you want, you do what you want. When you were younger, Peter, that's who you were. But when I'm finished with you, when I complete my work in you, when I do in you, when I change your heart, when I change your mind, when I change your character, when I chisel some things off of you, when I'm finished with you, you're going to stretch out your hands and another will tie your belt and lead you where you don't want to go. And John says that he said this to show the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Church history tells us that eventually Peter was crucified for Christ. His hands were stretched out. He was killed for his faith. And after saying this, Jesus said to Peter, hey, let's start all back over. Follow me. Remember, that was the very thing he said at the beginning. See, God is more interested in doing in you than through you. Hey, um, Peter, do you love me? Let's, let's, let's stop with all the, I've got whatever you need, Jesus. I have what it takes. Let's stop that, okay? I'm strong, Jesus. Stop. Just, do you love me? Let's just start there. Let's just start with a relationship. Let's just start with love. Stop, stop, Peter, stop with, I'm going to change the world. Stop. Feed my sheep. What's right in front of you? Just do that. Right here. You know, I, I, don't, I don't think Peter imagined being much service to Jesus following his denial. I think he probably expected to tuck his tail, hide out on a boat, finish out his days the way he started, right? But at least he would be different because of meeting Jesus. I mean, no doubt Peter's three years with Jesus impacted him greatly. He had an amazing journey. He saw things that he never imagined seeing. He traveled where he never thought he would. He was different because of Jesus. But Jesus needed people who had a better character than Peter. So Peter just goes back to fishing. But, 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 
Oh, get this. Please get this. You're going to go in a moment. You're going to go back out and do all the other things that you've got to do today. But I want you to hear this. I want you to hear this. Not just here, but here. When Jesus enlisted Peter to join his revolution at the very beginning, Jesus knew Peter wasn't ready. Peter didn't know Peter wasn't ready. But Jesus knew Peter wasn't ready. There was a lot of pride, insecurities, and weakness of character still sloshing around inside of Peter the day Jesus said to him, follow me. And Jesus was more interested with what was happening in Peter than what would happen through Peter. And Jesus knew eventually if what needed to happen in Peter happened, then what would happen through Peter would outlive Peter. One more verse, okay? One more. Luke 22, this happens before the denial. Before Peter messed up and denied, before all that, this is what Jesus says to Peter. Luke 22, Simon, Simon, look. Peter, listen to me, listen. Yeah, Jesus, what, what is it? I, I'm, I'm, I'm ready to die for you. I'm ready to do whatever you want. Okay, listen, listen to me, okay? Peter, Satan has asserted the right to sift you like wheat. He wants to shake you up. He wants to thin you out. He wants to run you through a mill, okay? However, I have prayed for you that your faith won't fail. Your faith is going to feel like it's failed. You're going to get to a point in your life that you're going to think it's all out. I'm done. I can't do anything else. That's how you're going to feel. But I've been praying for you. And when you have returned, here's the dream. See, I already know you're going to fail. You're going to think you're out. You're going to come back. And I can dream beyond your failure. When you have returned, and you will, strengthen your brothers and sisters. Because you are going to be an example. You are going to be a pillar. Remember, remember, on this rock, I will build my church. I think Peter was like, oh, okay, well, I, I, whatever. I'm just ready. I'm ready to die for you. Okay, Peter, go ahead. Go on. Peter knew, excuse me, Jesus knew Peter would fail. Still, he called him. Jesus knew Peter would fail. Still, he promised to build his church on his confession. Jesus knew Peter would fail. Still, he told Peter that God had spoken to him, and it's not flesh and blood that revealed this to you, but my spirit that revealed it to you. And Jesus knew Peter would be restored. But Peter needed to have a lot of change in him before God could do what needed to be done through him. You see, that thing in you, whatever that thing is, whatever it is you struggle with, whatever it is that gives you hell, that thing was in you long before Jesus ever called you. And we come to church sometimes and we sing our favorite song or we listen to, you know, as you consistently do, great sermons. And I'm just... And you feel good. And you know what you think? That thing's gone. I'm, I'm strong. 
I'm over it. I'm better. I am so, you know, Jesus, I'm here for you. Whatever you need me to do, I'll do. We don't even know ourselves, but he does. So here's my question, okay? Last question, we're going to go. What needs to be done in me? You, you ask yourself this question. What needs to be done in me so the things done through me will outlive me? I want you to sit on that for just a second. If you would have asked me that question 25 years ago, I would have given you a list. Well, I, he needs to change this and, and this and this and this and this. And if he can do this and this and this, then I can do this and this and this. Because, see, I knew almost everything 25 years ago. But here's what I've learned. You ask me that question today, what needs to be done in you, Scott, so that the things done through you, Scott, will outlive you, Scott? My answer today is, I have little to no idea. Because <laughs> I'm following not leading. And I've learned that I don't know myself very well. I try. Self-awareness is important. We need to understand ourselves, and I do the best I can to figure myself out in some ways and other people too. But I, see, if you would have sat down with Peter and you would have said, Peter, Jesus called you to follow him, and it looks like you're doing a pretty good job, Pete. I mean, man, you're on the front row when miracles happen. You sleep right beside Jesus at night. You eat meals with him. You, you get one-on-one -on -one discipling. I mean, you are in it. So let me ask you, Peter, what are some things in you that need to be changed so that God can do great things through you that will outlive you? I don't know that Peter would have had a clue what really needed to change. See, you don't know, and I don't know, but he knows. Can you dream beyond your personal failure? Probably not. Because when you fail, all you can see is your failure. And all you can see are your mess-ups, and all you can see is, I should have done that, and I, I wish I would have done that, and most all you can see is all the mess you've created. But Jesus can see beyond it. And he can say, listen, when you fail, and you will, I'm praying for you. And I'm praying that you won't fail entirely. And you'll get back up. And you'll learn from your failure. And then, finally... What's done in you will change what I can do through you. And then what's done through you will be so much bigger than you. It will outlive you when you're gone. All right, let's pray. Father, we bring ourselves to you. And some days we understand ourselves and most days we don't. We're stronger in some areas than we actually think we are, and we're weaker in some areas than we actually think we are. We fail. We succeed. We have up days and down days. We're successes, and we're messes. We're all of it.
Brother, what I want to happen within our church is just for us to live a life of humility. To not get so down and discouraged when we mess up because we realize that we need a savior. We can't fix it all. We don't even know it all. We don't know ourselves. And also to walk with humility and not judge other people when we see them mess up. But realize that there's a work being done in them. And there's a work being done in us. Because you're more interested in doing something in us than through us. You can do things through us in a matter of seconds that will make up for years and years and years. There didn't seem to be anything happening. What's more important is that our hearts change and our characters changed. Because Peter stood up after so many mess-ups and he preaches one sermon. And 3,000 people give their life to you. You can do more in just a short amount of time than we could ever do. As long as what happens in us happens. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for loving us in our mess. Thank you for loving us when we deny you. Thank you for finding us on the water when we go back to fishing. Thank you for preparing breakfast for us when we're hungry and broken. Thank you for restoring us again and again and again. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. Now go with us. Be with us in every moment of every day this week and help us to listen to your spirit and let, let happen in us what needs to happen. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a great day.